Hi, I'm Marsha Perkins today here at KPN TV with Angela Sanfilippo, who has been um, a member of the uh, fishing industry in Gloucester um, since, oh, for the last 40 years. This um, August, we have an event celebrating Angela's uh, 40 years with the Fisherman's Wives Organization at the Mile Marker, where she's going to be honored along with um, the Fishing Partnership Support Services 20 years anniversary. Um, Angela uh, has all of the information on fishing in Gloucester and uh, at the end of the interview we can tell you how to um, make your voice heard as well. Um, Angela is president of the Gloucester Fishermen's Wives Association, the executive director of Mass Fishermen's Partnership, and um, belongs to the Fishing Partnership Support Services. Um, Angela? Good morning, everyone. So um, do you want to tell me um, about the documentary that's promoting local seafood? Um, uh, we've been working on a documentary for the last uh, three, four years with the Gloucester Fisherman's Wife. The name of the documentary is Dead in the Water. It's been produced by uh, a producer who was native of Rockport, but lives in LA. And uh, we hope that before the summer is over, we'll be able to release. And the documentary is to tell the story of what's happened to the fishing industry in the last 40 years. And can you briefly tell us what that is? I mean, what kind of, uh, well, first of all, let's go back to when you got here. You came from Sicily? I came from Sicily in a city called Porticello in 1963. We went to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where my father's brother was, my uncle. But we were not happy, so we wanted to go back to Sicily. Um, we had friends in Gloucester who invited us to come here before we made the final decision. And so in June 1965, we arrived in Gloucester. And it's been happy ever since. Gloucester, for us, it's where we grew up, where we're going to spend the rest of our life, with the will of God. Um, it's just been wonderful all around for me. And you married Gloucester Fisherman. Um, a you married a Gloucester Fisherman uh, at the, at, in 1970, yes. uh, shortly after you got here. Um, and you raised your children as a fisherman's wife. Yes. Uh, so you married um, John Sanfilippo. And um, can you tell me what it was like when you were raising your children? We were kind of very lonely. My husband and the first few years of our marriage was fishing with the fishing boat, one of the large boats that went out to George's Bank, and he was gone for a long time. This was before um, the 200 mile limit became the law of the land. And one day he came home after about 12, 13 days, and my son said to him, my mother was so close, and now you can go back fishing. So my husband says, there's something wrong with this picture. I need to be on more. So I did, we bought a, a smaller boat where he could have been on lot more. And um, we spent our days basically with our family. And my mother, my father were alive, my sisters, my husband's family and friends. And then in 77, I became involved with the fisherman's wife and everything changed. My kids were part of the fisherman's wife. They grew up with it. 
they went to meetings, they went to cookout, they went to fish fries, they went um, to Washington with me. Um, and so we just have lived a life basically under need of, of the organization in many ways. So um, you became a member of the Fisherman's Wives Organization. You must have spent a lot of time with these women, especially when your husbands were out to sea, and um, I'm sure you became close. Oh, yeah. You know, the Gloucester Fisherman's Wife Organization is just not an organization that people think we sit around and have coffee. We are like a big family to start, and then we're just always on the go. Also, remember, I come from seven generation of fishermen. My grandmother back in Sicily, she used to be like me. She was very active with the fishing industry. So it was part of my family trait to be involved in the community and help out people. So um, now the fishermen's wives have also been responsible for um, doing things like um, getting um, health insurance for fishermen and uh, safety training. Can you tell me about that? Yes. Um, it was in, in the 90s when we had the first really tough fishing regulations. Um, fishermen came to us and said, um, you know, if you cannot do nothing for us, at least try to find us to be able to buy health insurance. With that said, we went to Senator Kennedy, and at that time we also went to the Archdiocese of Boston and asked them to help us make this happen. And so we formed another organization called the Fishing Partnership Support Service. Today, back then, was uh, a Fisherman Partnership Health Plan. And with the help of our political people, we created this health plan program. And um, we put everybody that wanted to, to be part of uh, been able to buy health insurance. The money came originally from the federal government, from the buyout money that was appropriated. And then the state of Massachusetts has been very supportive all through these years, to the point that the first year was funny. We didn't get as many people because people didn't believe that could be true, that this could have really happened. But then it went on for a long time until Massachusetts created the Massachusetts Connector, and then we, we moved people out of the health plan and put them in the, connect, in the Massachusetts connector. And, and then we had the affordable health care that we worked on. I personally went to Washington three times at the White House to help Secretary of Human Service uh, establish this health plan because we knew that it was good for the people. No matter what anybody says, that is a a dignity need of people um, to take care of them, their health and their families. And so now, as we moved out of really being an insurance company through the, with the partnership, we started to do all those things that the fisherman's wife were doing in a small scale. We started to do them for the whole state of Massachusetts, such as safety training, CPR training, we did do all kinds of interventions, blood pressure, cholesterol, hearing tests, um, um, cancer screening. We work with Dinah Fiber Institute. They bring their van to the WAFs and test people for cancer. And we also established four offices, one in Gloucester that was already here, but then we established one in the Cape, one on the South Shore, and we made the one in New Bedford even a bigger uh, office 
where people all up and down the coast uh, coastline are getting the service. People come to us for everything, and um, we are there for them. Now, um, you mentioned um, the 200-mile limit. Uh, that's um, foreign ships can't fish within 200 miles of our coast. No. Now, it used to be 12 miles, so Magnuson-Stevens, I guess, was created in... Um, 1976, and it started um, doing things like advancing the coastline and yeah, um, making things. Magnus uh, made the law that no foreign vessel could come in within 200 miles of the coastline all over the United States, including Alaska and Hawaii. And basically, the U.S. government took hold of that resource that was within that 200 miles. They established the the fishery council all over the country, and they started to make regulations. So that's um, the Magnuson-Stevens, and um, it's been revised a couple of times since then, and um, there's a program that's been, um, the fishermen are allowed to opt for, or that uh, the regional, the regions are allowed to opt for, called catch shares, and it works differently in different areas. But um, I guess what this is essentially done is it's made a um, private property of a public resource. Um, exactly. This is what is done. But remember one thing. Still the government owns the resource. People are given, like, temporary ownership by the catch share. And with that, then they run the show. They can make you survive, or they can make you go out of business. Um, in a way, not so directly, but because the way the laws are and the stock, the way stock assessment are made, um, you you never know. As my good friend Vito Jacolodi always says, we're always one stock assessment away from bankruptcy. So, um, the fishing industry now. Um, you say when when you were a young wife, um, how many boats were there out there? Do you think? That in the we're talking about ground fish. There must have been at least between 200 and 300 boats. And what about today? We have 25 boats that fish for ground fish. About eight or nine of them go to George's Bank. These are the bigger ones. And then we have the day fleet, which is reduced to the minimum of the ability because the boats, um, the stocks in the Gulf of Maine, the cod stock has been reduced very, very little. I give you an example. I know of a fisherman who, when they started cashing in 2010, he was allocated 150,000 pounds of cod. And that was 50% of what he had caught the year before. Today, that same boat has only 4,000 pounds of cod. So that's why we can't find fish in the market. Um, that's one of the reasons. Uh, what do you think the future of the fishing industry is? Do, you, do your children fish? No, my son was a fisherman, but in the 90s, we forced them out of the industry. We realized a young person cannot make plans for its future. I'm something that one day you can fish, tomorrow you cannot fish. Um, the future in the, in the industry is, going, is bright because there is fish in the oceans, and that's the very important part of this whole thing. Despite whatever the scientists say and the stock assessment reports say, they are fish in the ocean. Our fishermen tell us every day, and we believe them because they have no reason to lie. Okay, now that, uh, for instance, is, is 
uh, I've heard from um, scientists that there aren't any cod in the ocean. They, they have um, restrictions on how many cod you can catch. Exactly. And I hear from the fishermen that there's cod everywhere. That is cod everywhere. This is what the fishermen are reporting. And they say they go out and they have to plan how to avoid catching the cod. And why is that? Because if you catch more than you're allowed, you will get fined. And the people in your sector will get fined. So people don't want to get in trouble. And they want to, the law is the law, and they want to respect the law. Okay. Um, so uh, if you catch, for instance, haddock, um, I guess there's a lot of haddock out yes, there? Yes, right now there really is no restriction on haddock. That is, that is a restriction, but it's so huge that the amount of boats that they are in Massachusetts will never be able to catch at all they, because we just have such a small fleet left. Now, suppose you catch, um, suppose you can catch like 60,000 pounds of, had, of uh, haddock and you can only catch 200 pounds of cod. Mm -hmm. um, now you've caught 201 pounds of cod and you've caught like a, a thousand pounds of haddock. Can you still fish for the haddock? No, no, unless you have cod in the bank, basically. What I mean in the bank is that these boat owners, permit holders, they have to lease cod from another boat, from somebody who has decided not to fish anymore, and they can lease their fish to them. Because if you have caught your quota of any species, you cannot fish for anything else until you have some of those species in your portfolio. So in other words, you do the work, but you have to rent the right to work from somebody else? Yes, that's exactly and the way that, it is. Is that from other fishermen? What do you mean? Uh, the catchers, are they owned by other fishermen? Or? Yeah, there were a lot of people who, when the cashier program came to be, decided not to fish anymore. Their allocation was not enough to allow them to fish for a year to support a fishing boat. So they decided that they won't fish. They will put their fish into the lease program to get some money and to help other fishermen. And um, do you need to be a fisherman to own these catch shares? I understand that um, people can inherit catch shares. Yes, you don't need to be a fisherman. To, if you have money, you can buy them. That's as simple as that. What has made it a bit better for Gloucester is the fact that um, we have the Gloucester Permit Bank, and uh, it's a nonprofit organization that I am the president of as well, um, where we have, bought, we have bought permits from local people. And so we make that quota available to local fishermen at a very decent price. Um, now, if I, if I go to the market, how am I going to find fresh fish? You ask for it. You ask your market and say, do you have any local seafood? And this is very important for the public to do because everybody has to play a part to allow this industry to survive to the next good time that will happen. Eventually, the scientists will decide that there is fish in the ocean. And so we need to be ready for that. So um, the scientists, how do they decide? They do stock assessment, 
and then they interpret them, and then they do computer models. The, the ball is in their court, and uh, we hope, keep hoping, that they can see the light. You told me an interesting story one time about um, when you were young, you went to Woods Hole. Yes. Can you repeat that story? <laughs> yeah. When, uh, because this is very relevant today. Uh, when I became involved with the fisherman's wife and they were talking about the stock assessment, the first thing I did was I filled out a bus of fisherman's wife and we went to Woodsall to the oceanography that is there where the stock assessment uh, are taking place. And so we can educate ourselves. But what is this all about? And after being there all day, at the end of the day, they took us into a room where they had a dragon net on the ceiling and charts all over the wall. And they were explaining to us what they do. So we asked the question, how do you choose these stations that you're talking about? These stations are like, that's one point and five mile radius. And the guy, back then there were no computers. So the guy said, well, this is the way we do it. We blindfold somebody and we give him a dot. And he will throw the dot in the wall and where that dot goes, we start there five miles radius. Today, they do it by computer model, but it's the same way. They, when they do stock assessment, not necessarily they do their toes on fishing ground. Their belief is that if there's a lot of fish, they should be all over the ocean. That's not true. That has never happened, and it will never happen. Like us, fish aggregate, in their spatial places, the bottom, different areas. And until the systems like that, it's going to be very difficult for the fishing industry. Yes, now Alcatone, um, a, a local fisherman told me that um, the way the, um, the scientists count the fish is like um, counting trees in a parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's probably pretty close to true. Um, so uh, I have here a, um, a fisherman's perspective on catch shares by, by Ben Platt, and um, he says that um, the catch shares program is a, a tool for redistributing wealth. Um, so do you think that um, It's true. It's true. It's always been like this after Magnuson. It's been more like taken away from the poor to give it to the rich, so, the um, way the regulation had played. And that's not just in Gloucester, that's all over. No, this is, you know, Magnuson, <coughs> it's a national law, applies all over the United States, Alaska and Hawaii, in different ways for their fisheries. Many communities around the country have been totally wiped out because a program like Catch Shares. We're still holding on, and we will hold on. And is there anything that um, somebody... Uh, can do to make their voice heard and how they feel about what's happening and maybe to help the fishermen? Well, you know, people should get educated. And when we have our documentary out, they will get educated. And they should let their politician know and, and talk to each other. Call the fisherman, call a fisherman's wife and say, I want to learn more. You know, there's moments that we do feel lonely and, um, and the sad 
part that I was telling you early is that every fisherman that I know who fishes ground fish, it doesn't matter if it's Cape Cod, South Shore, Boston, Gloucester, but they say to me, it's, it's so scary. I find myself to be alone on George's Bank. And I look at the sky and I say, what am I doing here? I'm so far away from home. There's nobody around me. I am responsible for these people who have my boat. And it's the same for the day boat. They go out alone, one man in one boat. And many times they do find themselves to be alone as well. And that is terrifying, but that shows the, the strength of a fisherman and his love and passion to be in that water. So um, these captains take these, the boats out and they, they also take their crew. Now, um, you've mentioned health insurance and all of that. Now, is the, are the captains um, responsible to provide health insurance? No, for people have health insurance on their own. They come to our office and we help them apply for it. And we <coughs> always there for whatever they need. And um, I noticed that um, well, at a meeting, we, at the, the same meeting I was talking about, you mentioned um, updating um, the Fisherman's Memorial. Now, anybody that knows Gloucester at all or has seen photographs of Gloucester has, of course, seen the Fisherman's statue. And mm -hmm. now we have the Fisherman's Wife statue. It's interesting that in every picture you see of the Fisherman, the ocean is behind him. Mm -hmm. But actually, he's looking at the ocean. He's looking at the houses ocean. Are behind him. Yeah. But um, those, um, there are many plaques there that record the, um, the lives of um, fishermen who have been lost at sea. Now, that's a really scary thing, and I'm sure that um, you've known people, many people over the years who have um, lost husbands, sons, or whatever to um, the fishing, fishing industry um, during weather or whatever, boat accidents. Um, well, fishing for cod in the Northwest Atlantic is the deadliest catch. It's not the crabs in Alaska. It is the Northwest Atlantic cod fishery. Because we are in the open Atlantic Ocean. And as Captain Novello used to say, there is no caves in the ocean. Now, um, as far as boat repair, I mean, I'm sure there are like some good captains and some bad captains and all of that. And I, I know um, one of our local attorneys, um, Joe Orlando has a sign outside his uh, office that said um, that he's also a proctor in admiralty. So um, that's another uh, totally different form of law, I imagine. And mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, I'm sure it's very intricate. But um, if a fisherman gets injured, for instance, on a boat, um, then he needs to be, I mean, if he gets injured so that he can't work anymore, he needs to be able to um, be able to support his family somehow. Well, the, the boats have insurance through the Jones Act. Unfortunately, it's not like workman, like workman comp. They pay a lot of money for it, and it becomes very difficult uh, when people get hurt. This is really the responsibility of the insurance companies. Um, unfortunately, a lot of boats today, because of the way fishing is, they can afford to pay for health insurance. That's why you see fishermen go out alone. It's their boat, it's their lives. If anything happens to them, it's to them and not to anybody else. How much does it cost to take a boat out to fish? I mean, what if you, you have your boat, first you have 
the boat costs a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, you have your gas, um, your oil, it's, and all. It's very expensive to go fishing. It's not a a cheap way of making a living. Um, the average price for one of our boats that go to George's Bank for insurance, it's like seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year. And for the smaller boats, it could be from ten to twenty thousand. And when you only have four thousand pound a card for the whole year to catch, are you going to pay for it? This is why we are seeing a coming back of the family members to go fishing because of all these things. Now the NOAA, that's one of the um, the national organi- national organization. Associ- I can't. Mm-hmm. How do you say that? The national organi- organization and association, whatever. Anyway. Um, they say that um, they, one of the things that they, they want to do is support fishing communities and fishermen in order to um, keep the communities thriving with the cat shares. They, think, they say that's one of the goals of cat shares. And then um, I see in an NOAA publication that uh, one of their goals is capacity reduction. Exactly. That has always been the goal. <laughs> now, can you explain capacity reduction? Well, we've done a lot of it. There's been a lot of capacity reduction, meaning that they were thousands of permits. And now, for what I know, is they only have about, in the ground fish industry, they have about 1,100 permits, but only like 450 are active. I'm talking about the whole New England region. Um, so they've done a good job, and they still think there is too many boats. So they give people incentive to sell their boats to actually take the, the boat and their catchers off the market. Exactly. So how is that helping fishermen? <laughs> Do you, it's an answer that I cannot answer. You know, we, the fishermen have survived um, these hard times because they had hard workers, because their passion is with the ocean but also because we have supported them in many different ways and their families by providing the things that I was talking about earlier, you know, health insurance, CPR training, medical assistance, legal assistance, housing. We work with all the community in, in, in our areas, wherever our offices are. Um, and with all those things, we would have we would have less fishermen today than we already we already have, because if people couldn't get health insurance, they had to go work somewhere else so that they can get it. But like that, they can remain independent and still be able to apply for health insurance and receive it for whatever price. It's based on income and age and all that that stuff. Now tell me something. You know a lot of fishermen. Is fishing something that's like in your blood? I mean, do these fishermen want to do something else, or do they want to continue to fish? This is their chosen way of life. And what I say about fishermen is they're birds that cannot be kept in a cage. They have to be out there. I like that analogy. That's nice. Um, so um, that's National Oceanic and Atmospheric, Atmospheric Administration. No. And then we have um, the Depart- Mass Department of Marine Fisheries. So there's This NOAA is within the state. It's D- within the state of Massachusetts. And then we have... Um, NFS, which is the National Fishing Fisheries Service, and um, I have here before me a glossary of terms. Now we have 
MSA, that's the Magnuson-Stevens Act. We have um, LAP, which is the Limited Access Privileges, and IFQ, which is Individual individual Fishing Quotas, and Territorial Use Rights Fisheries, or TURFs. And, you know, I, I start reading, um, when I started re- researching uh, fishing and catch shares, I ran across all these... Um, Letters, you know, the MSA and, and the LAP and the TURF. And every time I had to stop reading and go look through glossaries, do different um, exactly. pieces of information to find out what I was reading about. And then after finding out what the name of something was, I had to go to another uh, <laughs> glossary to find out what their job was. What do they do? So, I mean, how let is me, a fisherman? Let me, how tell you, <laughs> let me tell you, for anyone out there who thinks the fishermen are not... Um, Let's let's use the simple word smart. They don't know fishermen. What these people have to go through to go fishing, they have to notify the NOAA 48 hours before. So they get assigned an observer. This is another issue we didn't talk about. They get assigned an observer to go out fishing with them, but they have to do it 48 hours before. If they don't, they cannot go fishing. Then they're going to pay for this person who goes in their boats at the price of the average of $700 a day. The same time they don't even make. And uh, then they have to report their catch during the day while they're fishing. They have all kinds of electronics on their boats. They have a black box. The government knows all the time where these people are fishing. There's no more secrets in the fishing industry. And they have to keep up with all this new technology that exists. You go into a pilot house of a boat, and it's like a cockpit in an airplane, the same thing. They have plotters, they have radars, they have all kinds, telephones, black boxes, computers, faxes, you name it, they're all there, and they need to use them all the time to report their fishing, their catches, when they're going out, when they're coming in, as if they're criminals. So um, we have uh, commercial fishermen and we have um, recreational fishermen, and the recreational fishing is a whole other can of worms that we're not going to get into today because that has its own issues and its own catch-share problems. But, um, you know... um, like you said, that well, especially the snapper um, fishery in in the Gulf of Mexico, there are a lot of problems with that, and um, there are um, 50 people who own 30 um, percent of the catch shares mm-hmm. between the uh, five states. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, fishermen, you know, they they have something like three days they can catch snapper down mm-hmm. there. The recreational mm-hmm. fishermen. So, I mean, it and then. The commercial, the people that do the commercial boats can catch way many more days, way many more fish. And, you know, I, I don't even attempt to try to understand how that goes. No, no I don't want it either. <laughs> but, um, you know, for instance, um, you, I was asking about fresh fish. Now, um, I go into the market, you know, the, the chain markets and... Um, I don't really see uh, local fish there. And um, I know um, you said a lot of it goes to the restaurants and they eat a, a 
regular supplies, so they probably contract with the fishermen to, to buy their fish when it comes in or whatever. They usually don't buy directly from the fishermen. They buy from one of the local um, buyer, fish buyers because um, anyone buying fish from the boats has to have a permit from NOAA, and they have to report this, and supermarket don't want to do that. So, so you, can, they, you can't stand on the dock and... and buy, no, you just can't. You used to be able to do that, though, right? Yeah, long time ago, <laughs> but not anymore. Ah, uh, the girl days. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but people should ask, should ask their market and say, do you have any local fish? Where you got it from? Do you know what boat brought it in? This is all information that it's available. And it's, the consumer needs to step up to the plate and support the industry. Now, um, tell me about whiting. You said something about whiting. The, right now is the whiting season. And whiting is the, in Europe, sells for about 30 euro per kilo. In here, you get 55 cents a pound. Hmm. Everything that gets landed in Gloucester sh gets shipped to New York and Philadelphia. People here don't eat whiting. They, it's a smaller fish or it could be a, a big fish. It's all size. It's the best fish in the ocean, and uh, you can fry it, you can bake it, you can make soup. Um, and it's sad because the consumer is afraid to try something new. You know, it's funny. People ask me sometimes, what does it taste like? And it's like, it's a fish. You know, there is a fish that is a little drier. There is a fish that is more moist. Whiting is moist. It's natural fat in it. And uh, it's not going to kill you. It's a good fish to eat. And we'd be promoting that all summer long with the Fisherman's Wife and the city of Gloucester. Uh, we'd be doing all kinds of events promoting white in the summer. So um, there are certain fish that, like I've never tasted, I, I don't know if I would like them. And some of them are kind of expen rather expensive and I'm afraid to buy something that, you know, paid maybe $20 a pound for something that I'm going to find I don't like. Um, for instance, um, you know, um, halibut is, it looks different than other fish. It's mm -hmm. very white mm -hmm. and it's very expensive and I hear it's delicious. Yeah, well. And I've, I've never it, tried it. It's <laughs> delicious. I honestly prefer a piece of cod over halibut. Because it's, it's very expensive because again, it's very limited in the amount that you can bring in, and this, there is a size limit that you can bring in, and you can only bring a, I believe right now it's only one per boat, you know, mm -hmm. per trip. Um, I may be wrong, but that's what I, the latest news that I had. And it's a good fish, but I don't know why it's worth it more than attic or cod or whiting. It's still fish, like everything else. I think I prefer cod, too. I mean, cod, the fish that changed the world is the name well, of one of the books I read. Let me tell you, I just, in May, I was in Portugal. And the first thing we were told was that the number one food in Portugal is cod. And every restaurant I went to, I ordered cod. I had it in 300 million different ways, and it was delicious. And so... And basically all there, and it was funny because we, we were in Barcelona and I asked a taxi to take us to a seafood restaurant. And he says, lady, in Barcelona, all the restaurants are seafood <laughs> restaurants. And we should be that way because 
we are so blessed being in a community like Lostock was perfectly geographically positioned. In front of us, we have the best fishing grounds. We have the Gulf of Maine, we have Stillwagon Bank, we have George's Bank. We are so blessed that um, with a little more support from the community, we can go through the storm that we're going through and thrive again. And remember, fish is the last natural protein that it's available, and people should value that. Um, I, you know, one of the things, too, I, I like about cod is you can put it in um, chowder. I make great chowder, but, mm -hmm. you know, New England, we all we love our chowder. Um, yep. And, you know, when I make Chowder, I like a nice big fat piece of Italian bread with butter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all of the uh, the cream and the butter, and the potatoes. I mean, um, fish may not be fattening, but when you add all that good stuff to oh, it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is, you know, uh, that is true. But I like it. The simpler, the better. I just don't like too many spices. It kills the taste because... Just last night, my husband brought home a couple of whiting, and I simply poached them in water and salt, and then put them on a platter, and I put olive oil and lemon, black peppers, fresh parsley. I didn't put garlic because I can eat garlic. And I tell you, when I went to taste it, I said, I would pay a million dollars for this. <laughs> and people just don't know what they're missing. One of the things I really like on fish is dill. Um, no, I, I like it on chowder. Yeah. I like the dill and chowder. Um, but if people want to taste the whitey, then come to our event on August 24th. And because that's where one of the fish that we're going to be serving is going to be whitey. And the event and on, on August 24th, you want to remind us what that is? That is the, the, um, the Fishing Partnership Super Service are doing an event to honor my 40 years in the fishing industry. It's a fundraiser event, but it's gonna be a beautiful event, and we're gonna be serving all local seafood. Now there's another event this July, I think it's July Yes, 26th. it's the Nordic Seafood Coalition. They're doing a raffle uh, to raise money for science. We like to, I'm on the board, we like to raise some money so we can hire scientists to be part of our team, as the stock assessment is gonna happen in September. They issued 500 tickets. If you want to purchase a ticket, please call them. Or um, I believe it's 281-9992. And uh, come and join us. We're going to have lots of fun at the Gloucester House. Again, all local seafood will be served. We're going to do cooking demonstrations. There is live music. It's going to be a wonderful event. Uh, yeah, that um, that is a an event that I certainly would like to attend. Um, the mayor now, the Gloucester mayor, um, claims a kinship. It says there's an article in the paper in the Gloucester Times um, by Sean Horgan. Uh, Chris Oliver, the executive director of the North Pacific Fishery Management Council, um, is going to be. Um, I had a Noah. The head of NOAA, right? Yes. The, the head of the North, the North American 
Association. <laughs> no, 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 administration. Yes, and um, it says that the mayor here claims um, kinship with him. Uh, that's that's pretty interesting. Mayor Safatia uh, from Ayo Taken. <coughs> she said it says uh, her daughter Leah's married name is Oliver, so she yeah. says that makes them cousins or something. Mm -hmm. That's really cute. Um, yeah. Now there's another uh, packers, cutters, and lumpers are. Um, they're people who uh, support the fishermen. They, like a lumper um, is somebody who probably carries stuff up, stuff up yes, in the hole. Yes, lumpers in the old days were used by all the boats. Today they use them in the big boats to unload the catches from the boat. Um, we, we've lost a lot of jobs in that field. Um, yeah, a woman told me, a, a fisherman's wife told me of a man that uh, was, as a, was a lumper and... Um, died on a fishing trip, just he dropped dead in the hold of a fishing boat. So I guess their, their job was really hard. They had to carry a lot of weight and work mm -hmm. really hard. And I think all fishermen work hard because, um, you know, they have to handle the gear and all that stuff. And I exactly. don't think people realize how exactly. how heavy and strenuous that is. It, it is. it is a very hard job. But, you know, when you're doing what you love, then it's never hard. So um, this... Uh, Joy Asaro Busby uh, has made a lot of tiles um, featuring um, scenes of fish packers and cutters at KPN Fisheries, Inc. in the 40s. And um, this was uh, incorporated into, into Fiesta this year. That must have been a really, a really fun thing to mm -hmm. uh, witness. Mm -hmm. In fact, Fiesta is amazing. I came to Gloucester, and I lived right around the corner from Fiesta when I first came here. And um, the, the community is is. You, you just get a real That's feel for it. That's what it's all about. You know, that is what it's all about. It's community celebrating their faith, their way of life. And we hope that there be another 90 years. Now, another um, neighbor of mine in that area was um, Jeff Weaver, the Jeff Weaver Gallery. And um, I guess uh, one of his designs... Yeah. It's is, when is you purchase a ticket from the Nordic Seafood Coalition for the raffle and the event, you get a card that was designed by Jeff Weaver that you can display it on your lawn so you can show people that you're supporting your fishing industry. So that is another way of, of supporting the industry. Jeff Weaver is a wonderful local artist. Um, now, the Catch Your programs have been in the U.S. federal fishery since 1990 and now includes... Um, 14 different programs from Alaska to Florida managed by six different councils. And this is according to a, a, a print of um, an NOAA uh, National Oceanic and, um, It says uh, the fishery management plans um, enable local fishermen and communities to be part of the process. Uh, it says that also that catch shares may not be the best management option for every fishery or sector, but you know a lot of times um, they feel like it is one of the best because I mean there was a time when before Magnuson Stevens um, big um, industrial fishing boats from other countries yeah. used to come in and strip the water of fish mm -hmm. and um, you know take them just take them right out of the country. For instance, to um, Japan or somewhere, Japan or Russia, and um, then 
There, there would be none left for well, our fishermen to catch. This is what I say. This is what comforts us, is that in 40 years, we've gone through a lot of playing hell with fishing regulations. However, if we didn't have Magnuson, we would have nothing because the foreign countries would have cleaned out, completely cleaned out this fishery. And so there's always a price to pay for something. And the price to protect the ocean out to 200 miles for its resources, and we are very blessed with it, has been what we've been going through for the last 40 years. In this other article uh, from the uh, Environmental Defense Fund, um, it says that the red snapper population um, is three times the size it was in 2007. And, um, you know, I, I understand too that like the, uh, the GMF um, publication um, reported that the haddock population has completely recovered. Yes, on George's Bank. On George's Bank, right. Um, so, um, you know, I've noticed, I used to take my kids to Salisbury Beach mm -hmm. summers when they were young, and we used to go to a place called the Black Rocks, and it was um, a place where they would go in and out of the rocks exploring and hunting for crabs and um, periwinkles and different things. And um, one morning I woke up and my roommate was screaming, crabs, crabs, and there's <laughs> crabs everywhere. There were two sinkfuls of crabs that um, my kids had caught that my friend was afraid of crabs. And, you know, um, the kids used to be able to do that. Now, I went I go to the rocks. I went to the Black Rocks in Salisbury oh, a couple of years ago, and I didn't see a single crab. Well, you know, pollution has played a lot of role in what's happened to our coastline. But, you know, my grandfather used to say, the ocean changes every seven years. And if I can stop for a minute and think what's happened since 1977, when I got involved, what happened every seven years, then I have to agree with him. The ocean changes every seven years. They say that um, the cells of our body totally re replace each other every seven years too. So, um, you know, as I said, you can no longer get out to the dock and um, purchase fish from a boat. No. but. Uh, I guess you don't buy fish? <laughs> I don't buy fish. I don't buy local fish, but I do buy other fish. And so, but that is, we have, we have places in Gloucester where people can get local seafood. Um, Steve Connolly Fish Market, the Cape and Fishman, um, Cape and Fresh Catch program on commercial, commercial Street. And I am sure that some of the local processor, if you need a good amount of fish, you can go to them and they will sell it to you. Where there's a will, there's a way. And I just am here and I want to beg our community, whoever listens to this program, to support our fishermen. The summer support us by coming to the Nordic Seafood Coalition event to come to my 40th anniversary you'll be able to talk to fishermen and mingle with them and learn the new, all that you can. And get yourself involved. It's, it's a fascinating world. We, 
we cry and we laugh at the same time. And we've had lots of fun in 40 years. Thank you, Angela. It's You're been welcome. nice having you today.